I want to thank Research FDI for sponsoring today's podcast. They're a globally renowned lead generation firm that helps economic development organizations create real prospects. They've helped over 500 economic development organizations. Let me tell you exactly what they do. They facilitate one-on-one meetings of economic developers with corporate executives who will have projects soon. They can facilitate these meetings to where you travel to the corporate executive's office and meet them there, or you meet them at a trade show, or even have a conference call with them so you don't have to pay for travel. They recently launched a service called FDI 365, which provides you a lead a day of fast-growing companies that will be expanding soon. Their research has helped over $5 billion worth of projects get cited since inception. I encourage you to go to www.researchfdi.com to learn more about Research FDI. As far as I'm concerned, they are absolutely the best lead generation firm in the business for economic developers. Call them at 514-488-3168 and see how Research FDI can help you you create real prospects. Hello, this is Chad Chancellor with Next Move Group. Before we begin today's podcast, if you've been enjoying our podcast series, please go over to Apple Podcasts, leave us a five-star review. That'll sure help us out. We'd appreciate it a whole lot. Hello, welcome to this week's episode of the Next Move Group. We are Jobs Podcast. This is Chad Chancellor, co-founder of Next Move Group. Today, we're going to go down to the Lone Star State and visit with a friend of mine in Texas, Gilberto Salinas. Gil, welcome to our show. Thanks for having me, as always. And it's very good to hear from a good friend of mine from a neighboring state. That's right. That's right. I've known Gil, I guess, about four years now, and Gil been following what you're doing, and you're doing some really cool things in economic development. I know you're well-known throughout Texas, so why don't we just start with you telling us how you found your way into this industry? One of the things that I've always said, or here, let me take a step back. You know, My wife's a teacher, which means every career date, I have to go in and present to her class. In economic development, I'm going to tell you, outside of like landing these big deals and everything, one of the hardest things that us economic developers have to do sometimes is explain to a room full of third and fourth graders what economic development is. Well, I bet that is hard to third and fourth. It is. It is. So, so usually uh, what I say is, you know, we, and things are changing now, but uh, we don't really grow up, you know, thinking, Hey, I want to be an economic developer. It's not in that cookie cutter. If I could use that term, a list of careers. So everybody usually comes in with some kind of a different background. Mine was actually journalism. So I was a uh, newspaper guy for 10 years. So I started off right out of college at the uh, University of Texas at Austin, graduated and went into a local paper, started as a cub reporter, covering crime, so on and so forth. And when I left, I was the city metro editor. And I got a call from the local uh, economic development uh, group, which was in Brownsville, Texas, which actually I still operate from there. And they were looking for a newsletter guy. And I was like, hell of a newsletter. This is, of course, a while back. And I'm like, you know, you know, I manage a team of 30 people, right? And newsroom with photographers, so on and so forth. What am I going to do, you know, with a newsletter? So they kind of told me, like, how much you paid? I'm like, newsletter sounds pretty good to me. So, <laughs> so I made the move. And um, again, very similar to my newspaper career. Came in as a newsletter guy and then started doing the marketing and then heading up their marketing division. At the time, it was a staff of about 12, 13 people. And 
then when I left Brownsville, uh, D.C. and the Incentives Corporation, I was a head of economic development. And that was uh, 12, almost 13 years there. And now I find myself in Central Texas in the periphery of the Austin and uh, uh, San Antonio uh, corridor. Well, I know today one of our staff members, Gabby Moulis, went to Austin for Mardi Gras because we didn't have Mardi Gras in New Orleans. Oh, that's and right. So she and her boyfriend went to Austin for a trip, and they're iced and they can't get home. So I don't know what oh. it's like where you are. But yeah, they, yeah they're snowed under and iced in. Yeah, we didn't get snow, but it's most definitely we lost power. We've got ice. We got into the 20s, which is unheard of because we're in the southern tip of the state of Texas. We're, you know, in line with like, Miami, Florida. So right. you know, for us, 60 degrees is cold, but yeah. Yeah, well, it's cold up in the Austin area. You know, it's interesting. I didn't know you came from the newspaper background, but uh, I've got a good friend in Arkansas who came through that route, and I've got several other ones. I actually know several successful economic developers who found their way into it that way. So what do you think it is that you learn in the journalism business? Because now, you know, a lot of people are getting out of that as newspapers suffer with online. But I guess what are the same skills that you learn there that has made you a successful economic developer? Oh, that's two words. It's emotional intelligence. You know, newspaper or, you know, now a lot of it's online. But as far as field of communication, really, field of communication is an arm of psychology. It grew out of psychology after World War II because, you know, how is it that one person, which obviously was Hitler, can, you know, basically almost, you know, bring the world to its knees. So then uh, the field of communication grew from that. Hence, they started, you know, looking into this trait, which is called emotional intelligence. So when it comes to journalists, I mean, you're, it's sink or swim. Very similar to economic development. I mean, you have to be out there. You have to talk to people. You have to build relationships, which is a core of economic development. You're not out there working deals per se, but you're out there trying to get the most accurate information as possible. And not just from one source, but from several sources when you're out on the field. And when you're in the newsroom managing them, you're also having to make sure that everything is as accurate as possible and getting that information out and just, you know, getting on the phone or whatever method of communication you're out there constantly communicating, you know, from all different directions. And that just helps with building one of your seven intelligences, which one is emotional intelligence, which if you look at everybody in a leadership position, I think 90% of our leaders from politics to social work, you know, Fortune 500 companies, they all rank pretty high in emotional intelligence, which in economic development, I like to say that us economic developers, and you're very familiar with this, Chad, is, you know, outside of like, you know, brain surgery, us economic developers have to do it all. And, <laughs> and, you know, it's just sometimes I like to say that sometimes it's a little bit of dirty work and not in a negative way at all. But just getting yourself out there, uh, being sometimes, you know, a little bit of a rebel. And I know that's kind of taking a different meaning today. But as far as, you know, just kind of going aggressive grain, all in just trying to land a deal. So we're very entrepreneurial in nature. Hence, right. that's where that particular field really helps some of us and have uh, communication as our background in this field that we call the economic development. Yeah. Well, it's interesting you're bringing that up. Yesterday, I interviewed some guys who just wrote a book called Agents of Economic Development, Neil Wade and Dr. Bill Smith, for our movement members. So not everybody's listening to it, but some will. And they actually talked about that a great deal of, they didn't use the word rebel, but they said, and you know, economic developers have to be change agents. And sometimes that's not an easy process. And so it kind of 
two days in a row now I've had you and them saying that. That element has always been there, but now more so. I mean, look at it. I mean, you want to talk about competition. I mean, there's nearly 20,000 communities in the United States. And each one of those communities has at least one person tasked with economic development. You know, and then you get into smaller cities, mid-sized cities, then the larger ones that have basically an army of economic developers. On average, you have anywhere between 200 to 300 active. Yeah, yeah the percentages are scary low. So we have to be those, you know, agents of change at very many different levels. I like to say you have to be a little bit of a rebel, and I'm thinking more of Star Wars, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, a little bit of a rebel to try to get some of these things done to ultimately land the deal. Yeah. Well, yeah, I'm going to plug their book just since you're talking about it. Agents of Economic Development. If folks want to go to Amazon, they can find it by Neil Wade, Dr. Bill Smith. And we literally, I literally yesterday had a very similar conversation with them for our movement members. So I'm glad you're leading us in that direction. So when you, now that you mentioned the plug, hopefully you'll plug mine in here in the near future. So I'm working on one. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. I plug mean, your it, book too. Uh, it's called uh, The Rebel School of Economic Development. Just kind of like, you know, for some of these economic developers that have had three years or less of economic development experience, kind of like, hey, you know, pick up this book and just kind of flip through the pages. And because even at three years, you're still not considered a well-rounded economic developer. It took five years for me to get there. This will kind of teach you, like, in addition to the basics, you know, maybe some of the shortcuts, you know, some best practices. But it's kind of like, hey, look, we've got a ton of stories here. Let's talk about trying to, you know, use a path of least resistance, how to get creative, so on and so forth. And again, you have to be sometimes a little bit of a rebel to get some of these things done. And I think it's really on par with our newest breed of economic developers, which I'm going to use a word, millennials. I mean, they're coming in and they're disrupting things in a very good way. So this is a good way to kind of like, hey, look, here's, you know, some more tactics for you, strategies they can use down the road because they will be faced with some of these larger tasks to, you know, land some of these multi-million dollar deals. Right. And so when will your book be ready? Do you have a target date or? October, November timeframe of this year. Okay. We'll have to get you back on our show when it's ready and, and, and plug that. So as you think back, did you have one mentor that kind of helped you get it? Or was there one deal you worked where you went, okay, I get it now. Or uh, where did you really learn? to be aggressive and maybe you have to chart the path, you know, chart your own course, if that makes any sense. Yeah, I've had uh, quite a few of them throughout my uh, career. And at the very beginning, it was, you know, my direct supervisor at the time. His name's uh, Jason Hills. He came out of the Detroit area. He worked in manufacturing in Detroit. So he was down in the Valley heading up the EBC back then. He's the one that hired me, brought me into the business. He's, you know, one of those old schools, probably won't appreciate it if I say this, one of those old school economic developers. You know, he was in manufacturing, then transitioned into EDC, the EDO world. And I did a lot of stuff in Mexico as well, because, you know, I was on the border. And so just learned a lot, just, you know, the, the old school of economic development through him, you know, the smokestack chasing, so on and so forth, which is now kind of a, it's got a negative connotation, but that's what it was back in the days. And I've been in economic development 15 years now. Fast forward to the last, you know, five to seven years. The other person who's had a huge uh, impact in my uh, economic development career, thinking outside the box, you know, being an innovator slash disruptor, looking at it from that standpoint of marketing 101, right? What does the customer want? Which in this case, what does a community or a region want? And you know who this is. This is Tracy McDaniel. Oh, yeah. Uh, 
she was a head of uh, economic development for the state of Texas, state of New Jersey. She was with the Greater Houston Partnership. And now she's with uh, Tip Strategies. She's probably one of your competitors. Well, we're, we're on the same business. Yeah, we consider that an honor. Exactly. Yeah. So she's based out of Austin. So she's had a tremendous impact in my uh, economic development career. And I like to say things that I'm also doing uh, there in uh, Kerrville, Texas, in the Texas Hill Country. We're going to take a quick break for a message for our listeners. Be right back with a lot more right after this. I want to thank LocationOne.com. Some of you know it as Lois for sponsoring today's podcast. In my opinion, Lois is the best buildings and sites database on the market. One of the reasons I think that is it gives you nationwide exposure. So I used to be the economic developer in Paducah, Kentucky, and I made a terrible mistake. I only put my buildings and sites on the Kentucky Economic Development Buildings and Sites database. Well, Paducah bordered Illinois and was within 30 or so miles of Missouri, Indiana, and Tennessee. So what sense did it make for me to not put my bills and sites on a nationwide database? Well, Lois does that for you. Looking back, I should have put my bills and sites on Lois. It's also easy to use for an economic developer. It's just like using Facebook. It walks you through how to insert your pictures and your information and so forth. And the thing I like most, it works well on my iPad. If I'm in an industrial building, I want to be able to look at that thing on my iPad. Lois does that for me. Other builders and sites databases struggle with that. So if you got 10 or 15 minutes to spare, go over to location1.com book yourself a demo and see if this can help your community have more success so you're helping Kerrville out and then you're also doing some other economic development consulting or tell us what you're doing now on a day-to-day basis i'm an economic development practitioner have been for 15 years again started my career down in brownsville texas and then ended up working for the regional entity that covered you know, uh, uh, Brownsville, Texas, Matamoros, Mexico, and then also South Padre Island, that whole little uh, cluster in the southern tip of Texas. That's about, uh, you know, 1.2 million people in that particular region. Then once I left, I was looking at, and this is where, you know, some of my, you know, mentors came into play. And I was looking at, you know, I want to start dabbling with consulting. I don't want to go into it full time because, you know, it's a tough life. But, you know, I definitely want to start positioning myself for, for the future. So what I did was I want to be in Central Texas because my oldest son just graduated from UT in Austin as well. My middle son's at Baylor in Waco. And then we have a little one who's going to end up there in Central Texas. So they don't know it, but we're following the kids. <laughs> so we started looking for something in Central Texas. And I was looking for a community that would allow me to, because I had already picked up a client to allow me to do my consulting as a part-time basis as long as there was no conflict of interest. So it was Kerrville, Texas that offered me that opportunity. So I've been there about two and a half years now. So uh, so I'm heading up the EDC there. And we're about an hour away from both Austin and uh, San Antonio. Well, 30 minutes away from San Antonio, about an hour from Austin. We're right there in that periphery of that mega corridor, you know, where all that action is happening. And also managing a couple of clients. So I've done some work with Pittsburgh developing a strategic plan for the development of innovation campus, specifically for additive manufacturing, working with folks out of uh, Corpus Christi, with also some uh, strategic planning there, and also uh, working in some EVA funding for some of the projects that they have. And then also doing some work through the IEDC with Puerto Rico, you know, getting them up and running to the economic development district. So the private side, don't ask me where I, if I have the time because I'm 
to the max right now, but then uh, as a practitioner, I'm in Kerrville. So, and it's interesting because a lot of my colleagues were like, Kerrville, what are you going to do there? I mean, that's, yeah, you're uh, just right there, you know, close to the action, but that's a community, you know, it's about 50,000 people. The catchment area is about closer to 200,000. But, you know, my colleagues were like, and there's not much going on there. To which my answer was, exactly. <laughs> close to the action. They have, you know, talent because, you know, they have a university there. They have all the right ingredients. If somebody can come in as myself and start piecing some of those things together, we can do some very special things. So that was kind of when you're shooting, you know, playing pool, right? You're shooting, you know, one ball in, but you're keeping an eye on the next one to see where you're going to set yourself up. So that's where I was at. So now me being there a little over two years now, we've already uh, landed a project, which in my portfolio, I like to say I've only got three projects that are considered game changers and we're able to get one for them already, which is a game changer. And that's a tier one aerospace company that does work for Boeing, Raytheon, Department of Defense, uh, Lockheed Martin. So it's like, it's a 400 person operation, aerospace jobs paying, you know, above $60,000 in wages. And, you know, the community, you know, finally saw what economic development was like. That's great satisfaction to me that knowing that there's going to be 400 families now, they're going to have an opportunity. And that's all it is, an opportunity and having a very good paying job to support their families. One, two is like most communities in the U.S. outside of the big centers. Now, this particular project and everything that we're building around it is going to help with a brain drain because they were losing a lot of talent. So now that's going to, if not reverse it, it's going to at least stem the flow. And then also with my leadership, now they're kind of like, okay, so now we know what economic development really can be. So now, you know, being a champion for that and having your board members and your city council and your county, you know, commission, you know, becoming huge supporters of what economic development is and should be. And we've already got the local community, Alamo Colleges and San Antonio working with this particular project. And as a result of that, next week, we're already announcing another aerospace company that's coming in as a result of the activity that this particular company is generating there. And that's it's going to be a smaller operation, which is about, you know, 50 person operation. But these guys are paying wages that are closer to 100,000. So oh, yeah, that's the beauty of economic development, you know, trying to now really build that supply chain. And we have a real shot at building a cluster because we already have three other aerospace aviation related companies there. And of course, you know, for those that know a little bit about my background, you know, there's one company coming in, you know, I just had a conversation with them 30 minutes ago and 30 minutes before this call and talking about like, Hey, so we're going to be ready for that next step. And I'm like, what's that next step? And they're like, well, you know, we want to talk to you know, SpaceX. We want to talk to Blue Origin. We want to do this, do that. I'm like, well, I happen to know a thing or two about that. So absolutely. So, you know, it's all about connecting the dots where we're getting there. And for, you know, economic developers, some of the younger economic developers that are out there listening to this, I'd like to say that, you know, you can make a difference. You know, you can make a difference almost in any position that you are within the organization, you know, and especially on the Bree side. For those of you all that are Bree, you know, managers, directors of business retention expansion, you all are the ones that have the most significant impact of all. So as economic developers, whether you're the newsletter guy or you're the one that's setting up the organization, you truly do have an impact in the lives of people in your particular community or region. 
We're going to take a quick break for a message for our listeners. Be right back with a lot more right after this. In June of 2020, Next Move Group launched a new initiative called The Movement, and we already have more than 100 economic developers as part of our movement. The movement was really built to help improve the quality of lives of economic developers. It helps economic developers land more deals, helps them get along better with their board and elected officials, helps them deal with the media, even helps them learn how to build their resume if they want to look for a new job. So thank you to our first 100 members, and if you want to join the movement, go to thenextmovegroup.com backslash movement to learn more. Well, I tell you, those aerospace jobs are good paying jobs. And some of the best projects I like are those small machining off of them. You know, it may only be 40 or 50 people, but they'll pay $100,000. And I have found, and you know this way better than me, so I'd like to ask your opinion. Aerospace, it seems like once you get your foot in the door with aerospace, it's a close-knit community. Maybe everybody knows each other. And of course, I guess if you compare that to uh, automotive, an aerospace manufacturer, a primary one may only make by making something up. I don't know, twenty planes a year, as opposed to a. As a so it, it makes sense that there's less people in it. But if once you get in, you kind of know everybody. And aerospace is a sexy topic. Everybody wants in that game. How did you get your foot in the door to where now you have these kind of relationships? Aerospace and automotive are on two totally different planets. One's more finite. The other one's just volume. I mean, they're just cranking out parts and cars and aerospace, aerospace, aviation and space. I learned the hard way. Those are three different things is a lot more finite. So again, it's one of those things where, you know, almost by accident, because I don't fly planes. Actually, I'm more of a motorhead. I love cars, but I was pretty young. Now looking back, I was, you know, mid thirties, 10 years ago. So I'm there and I'm already the vice president for my organization, the Brownsville Economic Development Corporation Council, and uh, get a phone call from the uh, office of the governor of uh, Texas, their head of uh, economic development and said, hey, uh, we just finished uh, visiting this company in Southern California. It's a company that builds rockets. They're looking for locations to build rockets and launch them into space. They're looking at four different states. They were looking at, you know, Texas, Florida, Puerto Rico, and Georgia. And, uh, you know, they were actually talking about the southern tip, the southern coast, that 90 mile, furthest 90-mile, you know, window in, the, in South Texas as a possibility, which we were there. And I'm like, okay. So I remember I hung up the phone and, you know, told my wife, we're at Chuck E. Cheese in the parking lot waiting for my son's birthday party and told my wife, hey, you know, I just got a call from office of the governor, right? Feeling all important, you know, about rockets. And she's like, that's great. But, you know, we've got, you know, a hundred kids in there that are going nuts. So we, you know, priorities. So the next morning, uh, called up the company and, you know, they walked me through what they were trying to do. Two weeks later, we were already, you know, meeting at uh, the headquarters of this company in Hawthorne, California, meeting with the head of the company, which was Elon Musk and the company SpaceX. And I remember going in and, he gave us about two hours of his time. And granted, this is before he became the rock star he is today. He was starting to barely starting to, you know, I think he had been on just like one magazine cover back then, like in Wired magazine or something. And I was like, okay, this is a pretty interesting, you know, person, character. Walked us through everything. And by the end of the meeting, he basically said, I'm doing this because, you know, I'm going to save humanity. And by building rockets and launching them to space, I'm eventually going to get to Mars to save humanity. So I remember me and 
my boss back then and my colleagues were kind of like, well, that was a nice trip. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> there goes that, right? What are we going to do? I mean, how are we going to go back to, because Brownsville at the time was the poorest community in the United States. How are we going to go back and convince our leadership, you know, even, and then, you know, talk to our community that, hey, we should use our hard-earned, you know, sales tax dollars to incentivize a company that wants to build rockets, launch them into space, which, by the way, they had already, you know, had two or maybe three failed attempts, and they had just successfully launched one. You know, we're going to do this to help them out because they're going to save humanity. They're going to colonize Mars. Nobody was talking to Mars back then. Space shuttle was still flying. You know, Steve Jobs was still alive. Occupy Wall Street, it was literally just two weeks away from happening. So we were kind of like, like, how? So at first, you know, I'm not going to say we didn't believe. At first, it's just like, yeah, we believe it. We see it. It's just how we're going to get that done. So we just started working on that. And one thing led to another, just started kind of gaining some traction. We were called many different names when the project started going public because it was going to go through a federal public hearing. Oh, you know, and we're, you know, regarded as those, you know, crazy guys. But, you know, the project happened and look at them now. So that's how I got involved in the aerospace sector. So after that, we started gaining, you know, the attention of other aerospace companies. Blue Origin started knocking on the door too, kind of like, hey, if they're building a launch site, you know, we want in too. And I'm like, well, this is a totally different project, right? So that's how I got into that. I still do not fly planes. You know, uh, you know, but, uh, you know, I was appointed to the, uh, governor's aerospace and aviation advisory committee. And, and then, you know, I just started the getting calls from my, like you said, it, it's a very close knit group. And I was coming more from the automotive sector because, you know, South Texas, Northern Mexico has that big uh, cluster. That being said, I will say, Chad, that one of the things that I am noticing is aerospace and the automotive because of the likes of Tesla, which also on the consulting side, I provide a little bit of counsel for Austin when they were working the Tesla project. Because of Tesla and the technology and some of those parts, they're now starting to really get on a path where they're going to converge. I would venture to say 20 years, maybe even to 10 years from now, you're going to see a crosshatch of those two sectors more so. Or, you know, we would never imagine that would happen, but you're starting to see the makings of that already. And again, it's because of, you know, battery powered cars, solar powered cars, you know, and Tesla being a big disruptor in that particular field. And guess what? You know, they also have SpaceX. I'm seeing those technologies now. So for mm-hmm. us economic developers now thinking, you know, in the future, look at some of your projects from those lens that uh, those two are going to be meshing very, very soon. That is very good advice I never thought about, but it makes all the sense in the world. And now Tesla's moving. I know they're moving some of their operations to Texas. I remember seeing the big, I guess their headquarters in it. They're moving to the tech, to the Austin. Uh, yeah. He moved to Austin now. So he's got, I think it's like a second headquarters, but he's got one of the gigafactories that's already under construction wow. in the Austin area. And that's, well, you know how that works, Chad. I mean, you know, not that, you know, Austin, you know, needed more attention. Well, I mean, they've, <laughs> yeah, you know, <laughs> you, know you haven't bought in there, it, you know, Oh, I know that whole area is just growing for me. You know, we're doing that search in Victoria, Texas right now. And even uh-huh. down the, the whole area is really growing. So what drives you? I mean, I find good economic developers is driven by different things. Some of them is to, it's the chase of the deal. Some of them it's closing, you know, what exactly motivates you to get you up every morning, raring to go? Look, I grew up in a, in a poor area, grew up in, you know, in, in South Texas on the border. 
doesn't mean I wasn't happy. It's just we were pretty poor and, you know, everybody in that barrio was pretty poor. I was a kid in the 1980s. Unemployment rate at the time, you know, was upward of, you know, 24 to, you know, 27%, you know. I didn't know it at the time. I just knew that, you know, why, you know, so many people don't have jobs. And when people don't have jobs, when you have an unemployment rate where, you know, one in four people don't have a job, everything else that associated with it comes along as well, you know, corruptions, hardships, crime. It was tough, you know, seeing, you know, you know, my family members going through those times and my neighbors, so on and so forth. Every, you know, when I went to school, everybody had the same story. Now, fast forward to today or to now that I'm, you know, an adult professional, I didn't know it at the time, but now what I'm doing, I'm very passionate about economic development. And I had just said this a little while ago. You know, I get great satisfaction. It feeds my passion to know that when you're able to bring in a company or expand a local company, that it's providing a very good paying job, you know, primary jobs in our section, you know, for families that a lot of times need those jobs. You're helping, you know, somebody from a lower social economic status get to a middle class status. Or sometimes you're helping somebody from a middle class, you know, get a little bit higher with, you know, some of those upper management jobs. Sometimes you're helping with talent. If you're able to retain talent, that talent is going to pay dividends for your community and your region tenfold because of the companies that they're going to create that's going to offer more jobs for these people. And then you start getting into innovation and advanced manufacturing. So I'm very passionate about seeing, and that's my drive to seeing people, you know, with an opportunity, not a handout, very different, an opportunity and having a good job to support their family. And one of the things that I do with my team, the teams that I've always had in economic development is every morning when we come into the office and you get started, you know, I've got my little ritual and I, I need to read at least one article in leadership, glance at the Wall Street Journal, just the headlines. That's my newspaper background. And then try to just a little something on economic development. My first 20 minutes. And after that, make sure that the team is like, okay, is what we're going to be doing today, is that going to make our community a better place for a person to have a job to support their family, for a person to run a business in this community, for a person to be able to come in and start a new business? So it's like everything, you know, again, whether you're the newsletter person, the debris person, whatever position. Is everything that you're going to be working on on your list of things to do today, is that going to contribute to those three things? Because again, that's my drive and that's my passion to make sure that we're providing those opportunities. That's a great question because that's who I am, Jack. Well, as we wind down, we usually talk a little sports. And so uh, while this is audio only, Gil and I are Zooming. So I can see behind him, he's got a big Texas Longhorns helmet. So you think y'all got the right coach now? I think so. I was at the Texas-Alabama game. I guess it was 10 years ago, nine years ago. And that's when oh, I yeah. that that's the night, I think you were going to win the game if McCoy hadn't got hurt. Yeah, I think so too. But those were the ifs. I mean, it was it just unfortunate the way things turned out. But that's what started, you know, the Alabama that we know today. But for the first time, you know, watching the national championship in Alabama win, commentators were talking about like, you know, Sarkeesian and Texas at the national stage. I'm hopeful that that's going to be the start of what happened with Alabama 10 years ago. Maybe not to that degree, but I'm hopeful that, all right, no pun intended, the ties are turning, right? 
they were talking about how this is, you know, such an offensive genius. So um, it's the right choice. I like for Texas to be good in football. I just feel, you know, there's certain schools you want to be good, and I, I just feel football's better. Better if Texas going. Looks like y'all got a pretty good basketball team, so you might be able to make a little run. And actually, not many people follow college baseball. I do because I went to Mississippi State, and we're always good at baseball. But our well, first. Our first game's against Texas Friday, so mm-hmm. I'll be following. That's our first game. As we wind down, is there anything you want to share with our audience I might not have asked you? No, I think you did a good job of getting into the far depths of my brain there. I mean, I don't know if I could add anything else that would not get me into trouble. Let me see. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we're gonna, we'll have to have you back on here when your book comes out. Make sure you let me know, and uh, we'll get you back on here and go over that one. So thank you for spending a few minutes Absolutely. with us today. Thanks, Chad.